You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us. A lot going on. Congressional investigations, Judicial Watch investigations, uh, court filings, all of which uh, touch on the terrible corruption here in Washington, D.C. I want to talk about all of that. Ray testified this week. We have a new lawsuit related to FBI corruption I want to talk about. Uh, We had that disastrous Secret Service investigation that uh, came to, quote, no result, frankly, uh, unquote, that we'll talk about as well. Uh, Plus new information about different government funding for that controversial firm that was involved in gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute. Uh, first up, I want to talk about, though, wait, I, I just want to acknowledge, I realize this haircut is relatively radical given my prior haircut, so uh, I want to acknowledge that. Uh, my wife was very unhappy with how short it is, but it will grow back eventually. I don't know if I'm going to keep it this short forever, but it was the summer, so I thought, you know, get some of this hair off of me. Um, So Judicial Watch has had uh, uh, many FOIAs pending on the Secret Service investigation of the Biden White House uh, cocaine scandal, where um, a bag of cocaine of some indeterminate amount was left uh, lying around the White House. We're still not sure where. As I said, it's this magical bag of cocaine that seems to, according to leaks, appear and disappear from different locations in the White House, depending on Uh, when the leak occurs. And on top of that, you've had um, the Secret Service, uh, quote, investigating itself because the Secret Service would have been responsible for allowing that cocaine to get into the White House. And the first uh, suspect for any such cocaine being in the White House under Biden would be, of course, Hunter Biden. So what did the Secret Service quote, investigation, unquote, uncover, oh, they can't figure out who uh, left the cocaine behind because it was just too many people walking around in this public space and uh, 500 people and they couldn't get DNA evidence, they couldn't get fingerprint evidence, and it's just too hard to figure out who possibly could have left the cocaine. Now, do you buy that? I don't buy that. And so the Secret Service has closed its investigation into the Biden White House cocaine mystery. And like every other uh, act of corruption that seems to benefit the current regime, and I don't mean Biden specifically, I just mean this corrupt Washington, D.C. ethic. Uh, It's a mystery. So we have the mystery of the leak of the the Supreme Court uh, Dobbs decision uh, that was designed to inflame and target the Supreme Court with pressure by left-wing activists in hopes of obstructing the final decision. You have uh, that mystery that's never been solved. They couldn't figure out who leaked that Biden, that, excuse me, that Dobbs decision. And of course, you have these ongoing leaks out of the Justice Department and the FBI that haven't been resolved one way or another, all of whom, all of which have been targeting uh, Trump and company. And on top of that, Uh, You have uh, the Durham investigation, which couldn't figure out just who exactly was responsible for the worst government corruption in American history, even though everyone knew that Obama did it, Biden did it, and Hillary did it. Uh, 
So in this case, we have the Secret Service who's been uh, uh, used so often to help cover up for Joe Biden and uh, the, uh, in the sense that Hunter uh, had a, a gun of his thrown into a trash can and then you had uh, the Secret Service reportedly and or the FBI go and vacuum records about uh, the mishandling of that gun or the purchase of that gun from the gun store. And, uh, and, then, and then, of course, you had the, um, as I talked about last week, uh, Joe's dog attacking Secret Service agents and other White House personnel and a cover-up of that and lies about just how severe those attacks were but both the severity and the large number of the attacks. So it was like, you know, an attack every day, and the White House was making it seem like it was just one incident. So it's the Secret Service is both put upon um, and abused, but also relied upon to, it looks like, cover things up. So I don't trust the Secret Service investigation. So that's why Judicial Watch has had a separate investigation going on with a number of Freedom of Information Act requests one of which is already rejected by the Secret Service because they had an ongoing investigation. Well, I guess they're going to give us all the documents now, right? Because uh, the investigation's over. So we'll see how that pans out. But we have other FOIA requests, too, uh, for other agencies that people may not think to ask about or ask documents of uh, that we'll be pursuing. So this cocaine scandal is, um, I don't want to overstate it, but you know, to the degree, it reminds us that Hunter Biden, whether or not he was involved in this, is one matter. But you know, the left is telling us the fact that he was, or perhaps still could be, uh, a cocaine addict, a drug addict, should have no reflection. Uh, you know, should be ignored uh, when evaluating the Biden administration's corruption issues. And I would say it's, it's just the opposite. His his drug addiction and the craziness associated with that further highlights the questionable hiring of him by Burisma and the, all the monies that were thrown his way when his father was in the vice presidency and shortly thereafter. If he was a drug addict, it raises additional questions as to why the heck he was hired. It sort of it should have been readily apparent, and I think it probably was at the time, that he was not a reliable person because of his drug addiction. So it just further highlights the corruption in terms of the payments that evidently, according to all the evidence that we have public thus far, was laundered for the benefit of Joe Biden. And so that's where you have the intersection of the drug addiction and the corruption of Joe Biden. In addition to you know, the crimes associated with the drug addiction, obviously you have the gun weapons charge uh, that is being uh, skedaddled or suppressed by the Justice Department into, I guess, a diversion program as part of that uh, sweetheart plea agreement. I mean, who else gets diversion programs at that level at the federal court, at the federal system for gun charges like that? I'm, I'm not aware of too many of those happening. I don't think it's actually the rule uh, and it's frowned upon. But if you're Hunter, you get protected. So it's all, all of these, uh, this, this co Biden's cocaine scandal, the Biden White House cocaine scandal, highlights the compromised nature of the agencies that are covering for Biden now and in the past, and it highlights the uh, serious nature and raises additional questions and further confirms uh, the corruption of Biden, Hunter Biden getting hired 
uh, by all these powerful foreign interests. Uh, they certainly didn't hire him because he was reliable. Uh, and why would you hire a drug addict? Unless, of course, he was the vice president's son and there was something um, of a bribe, there was a, some extortion or racketeering or laundering going on of monies. So there you have it. And so Judicial Watch won't give up on this White House cocaine scandal. It's going to be difficult to get documents out of the Secret Service because it touches on security of the president and the, and the, and the uh, White House complex, and they're very sensitive to that. Uh, so I'm sure that will be used as an excuse to keep all this key information away from the American people. But, you know, uh, if they can't stop drugs from getting into the White House, what else can't they stop from getting into the White House? So there's a real security issue here in addition to the corruption. And, you know, they, they, they want us all to pretend that they just po can't possibly figure out who did it. And I think <laughs> there probably isn't a Democrat or Republican or Independent who buys any of that. And I'm sure the Democrats, for political reasons, are pretending the Secret Service investigation is serious and should be taken seriously. Uh, but I don't think anyone in their honest moments believes that. And certainly Judicial Watch, even if we thought they were doing their best they could, we still don't trust them. So we're going to do our own investigation. And uh, that's what you support us for. And that's what we're going to stand up. Um, it's what we're going to do in terms of standing in the gap and providing that leadership there. So the other big news this week um, in terms of corruption news was the testimony of Robert um, Ray, the FBI director. And uh, you may have seen clips of it on uh, clips of his testimony on television or on the internet and such, and the Republicans, you know, did their best to try to rattle him. But he's a lawyer, and he's not going to be rattled. And he recognizes that, you know, what are they going to do to him? And and this is the frustration I've had. They they did hold him accountable in the sense of having a hearing, and that's you know, there's some value in that, because uh, someone like Robert Ray is rarely questioned by representatives of the American people. And given the significant role his agency has in law enforcement at the federal level, he should be questioned many more times than he is already. Uh, so he was questioned about the censorship, uh, which he defended. So oh, we just ask people to enforce their rules as if that's not... A, so what they do, this is the way Ray describes it. And I think I fairly characterize it. Well, the FBI isn't censoring Americans, we're just telling Twitter, look at this tweet. Don't your rules require that it be taken down? You should take it down. Have you taken it down? Why haven't you taken it down? Here's some more tweets that you should consider taking down. They were doing that with Facebook and Google and, and Twitter. And Ray's pretending that's not censorship. And of course it is. And a federal court, as I described last week, found it was censorship and enjoined the FBI from doing it anymore, communicating with these big tech medias to uh, censor Americans. And uh, Ray, obviously, is fully on board with that because he was defending that using the leftist narrative that the government has the right to tell big tech companies that they should be taking down the material of U.S. citizens. Uh, completely outrageous. And, and Ray, uh, to the degree the hearing was useful, it confirmed that Ray is an enemy of the First Amendment and the Constitution and is willing to abuse the civil rights of countless American citizens to advance whatever agenda that he's being asked to advance through the FBI, whether it be suppressing COVID content, 
so-called election misinformation. I don't even know what that means. I, you know, when they hear these words, disinformation, misinformation, malinformation, you know, the leftists have all these different, all these different definitions as to, to try to justify the removal of such content. But whenever you hear that, you should hear speech, speech, and speech. And they don't like the speech and they want it suppressed. So don't be distracted by disinformation or malinformation uh, or whatever the latest cutting edge term is. It's speech. And Ray is on the side of suppressing speech through the use of the FBI. And a federal court judge has enjoined that most recently, but we'll see how long that injunction lasts. And I don't understand why uh, Congress hasn't shut it down directly as well. Now, there may be some amendments in the appropriations process that may uh, uh, restrict government agencies from doing that type of censorship, but we'll see uh, uh, whether or not they're going to be pushing it hard. I don't, I don't see them uh, doing that, or at least make that you may get initial congressional support out of the House for it, but the big question is, are they willing to uh, not let government spending generally go forward unless this censorship stops? And I don't think the House is willing to do that. So your First Amendment is on the line, and it needs to be protected more significantly by the House of Representatives who spend the money on this. And if it's not, you should communicate if you don't think it is, um, or if you think it, it is. You know, whatever your view, you should communicate that with your, your member of Congress. And of course, Judicial Watch has its own independent Freedom of Information Act requests and lawsuits on all of these issues. Uh, into with the FBI, with the Justice Department, with the Department of Homeland Security, the whole censorship state uh, that is uh, directed at your First Amendment rights. And um, the other uh, big news this week, I thought, was uh, some um, material that was filed in the court in Miami where President Trump is set to be tried. Now, the government, the Biden regime, wants to uh, get Trump prosecuted and jailed as quickly as they can before the election, and Trump, for obvious reasons, is opposing that. And there's a one thing, there's a tweet I wanted to read from President Trump. I forgot to print out, or it's actually from me, highlighting something in his, his uh, brief. Hold on a second, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, but oh, while my computer here or my phone is... Uh, warming up, uh, what happens is the government wants to set a, a trial date. Uh, the Trump admitted, the, the Trump legal team wants to delay the trial. So now there's back and forth before uh, the judge down there. Let me see. Well, let me see. Trump legal team. Ah, this is what I wanted to read. So this is the tweet I, I uh, put out there. I'm gonna, I got a few tweets quoting in the brief. And this is the nice thing about Twitter recently is they've allowed longer tweets that I can quote more fully from Judicial Watch press releases, interesting court decisions, and other primary documents so that people can look at the material directly on the platform as opposed to moving, um, you know, having to click go somewhere else and figuring out where it is. Uh, new court filing from Trump legal team details massive constitutional battle against Biden regime's scheme to jail Trump before the election. So that's the headline I put on Twitter in, in, in introducing this Trump filing, and that's why the left hates me, because I understand what's at issue and describe it accurately and consistently and dramatically. 
Uh, this extraordinary case, and this is what the Trump file, this is what the Trump team filed. I think it was, when did they file it? This is filed on July, July 11th, so I think it was filed either late Friday or, or late Monday. This extraordinary case presents a serious challenge to both the fact and perception of our American democracy. The court now presides over a prosecution advanced by the administration of a sitting president against his chief political rival, himself a leading candidate for the presidency of the United States. Therefore, a measured consideration and timeline that allows for a careful and complete review of the procedures that led to this indictment and the unprecedented legal issues presented herein best serves the interests of the defendants and the public. The intersection between the Presidential Records Act and the various criminal statutes at issue have never been addressed by any court and in the defendant's view will result in a dismissal of the indictment. The authority, Velnon, V-E-L-N-O-N, um, Velnon, I think, is Latin. Well, I know it's Latin. I think it's for Latin for uh, the opposite of. So the authority or lack thereof, right? Of the special counsel to maintain this action likewise presents a potentially dispositive issue of first impression in this court. Additional significant matters include the classification status of the documents and their purported impact on national security interests, the propriety of utilizing any, quote, secret, unquote, evidence in a case of this nature, and the potential inability to select an impartial jury during a national, um, forgive me, of an impartial jury during, uh, impartial jury during a national presidential election. Moreover, the extensive and voluminous discovery, coupled with the, challenged, the challenges presented by the purportedly classified material that is yet to be produced, will require significant time to review and, uh, for review and assimilation. Proceeding to trial during the pendency of a presidential election cycle wherein opposing candidates are effectively, if not literally, directly adverse to one another in this action will create extraordinary challenges in the jury selection process and limit the defendant's ability to secure a fair and impartial adjudication. Here, there is simply no question any trial of this action during the, during the pendency of a presidential election will impact both the outcome of that election and, importantly, the ability of the defendants to obtain a fair trial. The government's request to begin a trial of this magnitude within six months of indictment is unreasonable, telling, and would result in a miscarriage of justice. So there you have it. And uh, one of the things he mentions there, Trump's team mentions there, is the um, Presidential Records Act, two issues, and the constitutionality or suggests that the, pres the special counsel is constitutionally infirm. Now, I, I will go over again. You've heard me say it before, and I'm going to say it again because it's key, in my view, uh, to the corruption targeting Trump. The Presidential Records Act has traditionally understood by the Justice Department, the National Archives, and most famously, all of which they, uh, in, most famously in the Clinton sock drawer case where he kept uh, what we believe to be and what in theory, were presidential records in his sock drawer, 
uh, they deferred to the president as to what records were personal and which records were presidential. And that necessarily meant which records were classified, which ones he declassified uh, under his power as president. Similarly, that would apply in theory to the Espionage Act, which has a, additional restrictions on defense information generally. Now, if the president on his own power can declassify material, why has he, why couldn't he similarly uh, make available uh, under his authority as president to himself uh, these records that are allegedly are uh, covered by the Espionage Act? Of course he can. And so that's what the president is saying there, that they've got this Presidential Records Act that gives the president discretion to, classify, to keep records as personal. And there's no restriction on that. And that was the prior position of the Justice Department and the prior position of the archives. And, the, and, and it was the decision of a key case that Judicial Watch had pursued, which we lost, seeking the clinton sock drawer tapes. So when he references the Presidential Records Act, that's what I think he's referencing. But he also talks about the constitutionality of the special counsel. And this is where, I guess someone on Twitter said, what does he mean there? And I, I don't know exactly what they meant, but I do recall <laughs> being upset with the idea of having an outsider get hired to prosecute and run grand juries without being confirmed by the Senate, as every U.S. attorney is. And so what happens is you've had, in this case, uh, Jack Smith, who no longer works for the Justice Department, get hired essentially as a contract employee under the special counsel regulations, and he gets to run a prosecution and try to jail someone without day-to-day -day supervision by uh, someone who has the authority to do so, U.S. attorneys or confirmed officials in the Justice Department, such as the Attorney General. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say that Jack Smith has full authority to do anything he wants uh, without saying what the basis for that authority is. And that has to be someone who's confirmed as the Constitution requires when the exercise of that authority uh, by the U.S. Senate. And if, 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 if um, Garland is running this or an appointee of or someone who's also confirmed uh, is running this, then, then what's the purpose of a special counsel? Now, I guess in theory you could have a U.S. attorney made special counsel and you wouldn't run into that constitutional issue because a U.S. attorney is confirmed by the Senate. So that, that's the question there. That was the question for Mueller as well. And I don't think the D.C. courts uh, bit. I don't think anyone raised it. I think maybe one of the witnesses or targets raised it, but they didn't get anywhere with the D.C. courts. But there's a new court in Miami, and they may, and they may look at this uh, afresh. So that's the constitutional issue. Does Jack Smith have the constitutional authority to run grand juries, issue subpoenas, uh, and prosecute uh, U.S. citizens under our constitutional system? I think it's an open question, and I'm skeptical that that's the case. I said that as much. I said that for Mueller, and I don't see why Jack Smith is any different. Also, in in Trump's um, uh, court filings. He, made the, he also highlighted some interesting issues about the evidence that was given to him. Uh, Trump's legal team, as I, as I uh, introduced this clip or this section from the uh, filing he made, 
Trump's legal team highlights how Biden regime playing games on evidence in its efforts to jail Trump before the election. The government anticipates, and this is a quote from the Trump legal team's brief on behalf of President Trump, the government anticipates producing discovery in stages due to the sheer volume of documents collected and because of procedural mechanisms necessary to protect against the unlawful production of classified information. The government produced its first production of unclassified discovery on June 21, 2023. The initial production was substantial and voluminous. Therein, the government produced more than 428,300 records in excess of 833,450 pages, consisting of approximately 122,650 emails, including attachments, and 305,670,000 documents gathered from over 90 separate custodians. The initial production also identified some 57 terabytes of compressed raw CCTV data, closed circuit television. So far, there is approximately nine months of CCTV footage, but the final number is not yet certain. In addition, there will be additional productions of discovery provided by the government as it continues to process some devices and search warrant returns. Notably, the government has not produced all interview-related materials, including certain witness statements and associated memorialization, memorialization of those statements. The government has not informed the defendants when it anticipates producing additional discovery, what that discovery entails, or to even approximate when it will be in a position to fully comply with its discovery obligations under the law. The government's efforts are ongoing, and the defendants have no insight into when this will be complete nor do any of the parties know when the classified discovery will be made available to defendants. Thus, in addition to the extraordinary volume detailed above, there will be further discovery. So they've got a lot of documents, a million pages almost, and they're expecting to get more documents. And on top of that, there's this issue of classified information and who gets to see them how and when and whether the jury ultimately will be able to determine uh, this information um, is being is being faithfully and accurately and truthfully described as either national defense information, uh, the release of which without authority would damage the United States, or classified information. Trump's legal team highlighted how the Biden regime, again, wants to jail Trump based on secret evidence, as I was implying here. And he they told Judge Cannon, who is the judge in this case in Miami, there should simply be no, quote, secret, unquote, evidence nor any facts concealed from public view relative to the prosecution of a leading presidential candidate by his political opponent. Our democracy demands no less than full transparency. So I read all that stuff from Trump's brief because you're never going to hear it from the media, folks. You're never going to hear the strong legal defenses that Trump has against this wild abuse of power by Biden from the media. And indeed, the Trump um, Justice Department excuse me, the Biden Justice Department filed a brief in opposition, and their response to Trump was, oh, you know, too bad. Too bad, you know, uh, getting a jury is always going to be tough. We'll get a jury, don't worry. Uh, by the way, we gave you 800,000 pages of records, but we told you the important ones. So you should just believe us and look at only the important ones we told you to look at. Oh, we gave you nine days of video footage. Oh, we told you the important footage, so you shouldn't look at any of the other material, even though we gave that to you because we were required legally to do so. So that's the Biden regime's response. And they said, oh, the Presidential Records Act? Well, you know, maybe, maybe somewhere, some court might be interested in that, but we shouldn't hold up the entire case. Uh, 
for a crackpot legal theory that is never going to go anywhere. And we're going to so so the judge should just ignore the substantial issues that not only have I raised here, as I'm explaining, uh, but the Trump uh, legal team says they're going to raise. So it's the Biden regime acting as a regime. And they want the trial to take place just a few weeks before the Iowa caucuses. The Iowa caucuses, I think, are going to be um, early January at this point, January 13th or so. Uh, and the trial they want to begin on December 11th. So they want to try and potentially jail Trump two or three weeks before the Iowa caucuses begin in the middle of the presidential primary. How is that not anything but election interference? How on earth could a federal judge allow that to take place? And I don't think this judge nor any other judge, frankly, fairly applying the law uh, and uh, being careful about the rights of President Trump would allow it to take place. But of course, Judge Aileen Cannon, who was a Trump appointee, uh, because she has been skeptical in the past, previously, of Biden administration um, ethics, frankly, and the way they've handled this case to date, uh, the left has been very angry with her and they've been targeting her. Uh, so Judge Cannon is going to be uh, facing a lot of pressure uh, to try to join the Biden regime's effort to improperly jail uh, President Trump. And so let's hope that she uh, resists that siren call of political conformity and um, is blessed with the wisdom and discretion and discernment uh, to apply the law faithfully and protect, the tr uh, protect President Trump from what I believe to be a widely abusive prosecution that should never get out the starting gate, meaning that uh, she can't shut it down soon enough. So that's where we stand on the Trump case. And, you know, the American people deserve uh, a full update on this because this is ongoing election interference by the Biden regime. Jack Smith works for Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland works for, Donald, for President Biden. President Biden has the final say whether this proceeds. It only proceeds with his permission and acquiescence. So in the end, this is a Biden prosecution of his number one political opponent, in the months before a presidential election. And uh, that normally happens in uh, dictatorial regimes. And so if you're in China and Moscow, you probably understand this uh, much, more much more clearly uh, than you would if you're just relying on the liberal media who are happy to advance uh, this uh, effort by, its political, by their political allies, the Biden regime, to jail Trump. And of course, you know, when you have the Justice Department focused on doing nothing but jailing Trump, it allows uh, and gives them an excuse and frankly makes it harder for them to prosecute Biden or anyone around Biden. So when you compare and contrast that, for instance, uh, the special counsel looking into uh, uh, Joe Biden's supposed mishandling of classified information. Uh, his own his records case, which is frankly much more substantial legally, because he had records from his days as a Senate that uh, that were classified. So none of this Presidential Records Act exceptions apply to him. I mean, he's only spent a few hundred thousand dollars. I think uh, Jack Smith's budget that he held up and kept secret from us, even though it was due several months ago, uh, he spent five and a half million dollars in the first four months of the year. So there, there, that, that shows you the priorities, 
you want to know what the government priorities are generally, figure out what they're spending money on. And they're spending money on going after Trump and spending money, less money, on Biden suggesting that they're protecting him. So there you have it. And of course, Judicial Watch is continuing to push hard for all the information we get, uh, get from the Biden, the Biden administration about this abuse of Trump, including who's working for Jack Smith. I mean, they're spending five and a half million dollars and they don't want to tell us who's working for him. In violation of federal law, requiring disclosure of, of, of high level officials involved in government investigations like this. You know why they don't want to tell us who's working for them? Because they're afraid that it's going to be a list of names that everyone is quickly going to see are Democrats or Democrat-connected or Democrat donors. Because let me just be clear here. Forget about the indictment of Trump. Just take, a, take that out of the equation. The Justice Department is largely populated by leftists and Democrats. Now, is there a Republican and a conservative? They're high, sure there are in any government agency. But the Justice Department is like 90%, I'm exaggerating. But for, for in terms of decision-making, and, and I don't even mean this in a Democratic administration. I mean it's still in a Republican administration. Virtually all the civil servants, all the top lawyers are Democrats and leftists. And that means they support leftist causes, both political and, and cultural. I mean, let's put it this way. You're going to find, um, I guarantee you, you're not going to find any significant Republican donors in the list of lawyers who work for Jack Smith. They just don't exist in the Justice Department. They just don't. And if they do, they're the exception that proves the rule. Speaking of corruption at the Justice Department and the FBI, you know, one of the things that Ray testified to this week was he pretended that the FBI wasn't investigating parents, and that was not the tr that was that was not true. We've had FBI whistleblowers who were blowing the whistle because they were being asked to investigate parents who dared to um, exercise their First Amendment rights in directing the education of their children by trying to find out what what the heck was going on in the school boards in their local community. And Judicial Watch already has had litigation on this issue. And uh, we filed a new lawsuit uh, just last week, or maybe it was just this week. I don't know how quickly we got this out. As the headline reads, Judicial Watch sues for FBI records of investigation of parents spurred by October 2021 Merrick Garland memo. So that was the memo uh, essentially dictated by a left-wing interest group um, representing so-called school boards uh, that was sent out essentially uh, treating parents as terrorists in the month before uh, some key elections, namely in Virginia, where the school board issue was a big issue. And we filed a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the Justice Department for all FBI communications from bureau officials using several systems and databases regarding investigations carried out after that infamous memo from Attorney General Garland instructing investigators to target American parents due to an alleged, quote, increase in harassment and intimidation and threats of violence against school board members, teachers, and workers in our nation's public schools, unquote. Of course, there was no evidence that there was any of that increased 
threat of violence or whatever of school boards. I do recall seeing school boards telling parents they couldn't come to meetings, refusing to allow the public to speak at meetings. Remember infamously that father in Virginia was removed and arrested after he complained about a rape of his child? That's, that's not what the FBI is investigating. The FBI is investigating people complaining about that. The memo instructed federal law enforcement to open dedicated lines of communications for threat reporting, assessment, and response on possible criminal threats to local school board members over politically charged issues such as critical race theory and other extremism. And we filed this request for information back in February, so we've been waiting a few months for this material. Uh, records and communications of the below-named Federal Bureau of Investigation employees or former employees regarding school board threats, meetings with U.S. Attorney's offices in accordance with Attorney General Merrick Garland's memo, which um, directed the U.S. It directed the FBI to partner with local law enforcement and U.S. attorneys to identify parental threats at school board meetings. Uh, communications with the National School Boards Association, which was the entity that helped generate this memo targeting parents. Moms for Liberty, which is a conservative grassroots group of moms who want liberty and oppose, as they say, co-parenting uh, their children with the government. And Turning Point USA, run by our friends, um, uh, namely Charlie Kirk, who has been also mobilizing on this issue. So not only were they targeting parents, but grassroots groups, it looks like, who were opposing uh, the uh, school board abuses that, show, that had children being taught improperly, um, being taught critical race theory, racialism, and of course all this sex talk as well. Uh, all of that is something the left was very interested in posing on children as well. So we want documents from Chris Ray, his deputy director, key officials in field offices for the FBI, where a lot of work is done um, outside of headquarters, the assistant director of the criminal investigative Dis division, uh, the unit chief and senior program manager at FBI headquarters, uh, the executive assistant director. So there was, you know, we were asking for all the top people. And then we wanted the, you know, and the trick sometimes with asking for documents from the FBI is that you have to know um, what systems of records they're keeping. And you want to tell them, you need to tell them to search specific systems of records, otherwise they play games with you. I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but we didn't want them to play games. So we listed all the various systems of records and techniques uh, they use to investigate uh, issues and ask them to search them. The investigative their, their investigative data warehouse, for instance, the electronic surveillance system, their surveillance system, their physical surveillance system, uh, their surveillance records, uh, their law, the law enforcement national data exchange, data integration and visualization, visualization systems. I encourage you to go to our website and look up uh, our requests and then Google and search online for these data systems the FBI uses to spy on you, um, and sometimes they go after criminals, 
But the danger is these materials and these systems are being used to spy on parents and target parents for exercising their First Amendment rights. There have been at least, according to um, Congress, there was a March 21st report out of the House Judiciary Committee uh, that cited the FBI data which states that there were 25 inquiries under the threat tag EDU officials. So that's shorthand for, uh, you know, these school boards. Had, and they had been open since the Bureau began tracking these alleged incidents that Garland had made up out of whole cloth. In testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, Garland said he based his memo off a letter from the National School Board Association, uh, formerly available on its website. It took it down, but now available elsewhere, so we've got a link to it if you need it, that labeled parents as domestic terrorists. The School Boards Association later issued an apology for the letter. And, um, you know, so the question is, is Garland being truthful here? Did they curtail First Amendment or target First Amendment protected speech? And uh, it looks like Ray misled Congress last week about the FBI's willingness to do that. You know, and I recall I reported out because we had found out early on from, a, an, um, from some sources that as soon as this memo was issued, I think Ray was out in the hustlings talking to FBI colleagues out west somewhere. And his reaction was, this is the first, you know, we don't investigate First Amendment protected speech. We're not going to do this. And he said he wasn't consulted about this memo before Garland released it. Well, that's all well and good, but his FBI opened up investigations and actually did say what he says he wasn't going to do and what he testified last week saying he hadn't done or his agency hadn't done. So Ray is a disaster. Ray is a disaster. The House Committee report concluded the Biden administration officials um, colluded with school board association leaders to create a justification to use federal law enforcement and counterterrorism uh, resources against parents. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not being angry enough here, but I, I just want to highlight how angry you should be about this. You're a parent, you go to your school board association to complain about Marxism, critical race theory, and pornography being pushed down your children's throats and asking why on earth is this curriculum being put out there? Why is it being done in a secretive way? The, all the usual complaints that citizens have about the way the government operates, and especially as it operates with respect to children through the school board system of the public school boards. And for that, you get some lefties running some national organization working with their buddies in the Justice Department to have the FBI start knocking on your door or looking at what you said and compiling a file on you. So if you want to know how it is Trump is about to get jailed if the Biden regime gets its way, you're a parent, though, they want to try to jail you. I mean, it's not whether you're high or low for the communists. It's you're an opponent. And there's no opponent too small or too unworthy uh, in terms of being a polit political leader versus a regular citizen of being targeted for abuse. If you are active, you are a target. So we're not going to let this drop.
now I just got myself all mad about all this again. But it's it's really outrageous, and the fact that it's you know the FBI is likely to get full funding, or to the degree he gets less funding, it's going to be insignificant from the House, which is nominally controlled by Republicans. To me, is an epic failure of leadership, of of respect for the concerns for the American people, and respect for our constitutional system and the rule of law, given what they've been up to and what they are doing right now, not just what they've done in the past, what they're doing now with the money that Congress is appropriating for them. So another big deal is um, COVID. It's still a big deal. And why is it a big deal? Well, because the government engaged in significant misconduct that probably got people killed unnecessarily because of the maniacal, unscientific, uh, dangerous uh, responses that the government mandated and restrictions the government mandated both at the local, state, and federal level in response to the COVID pandemic. And as you know, Judicial Watch has been a leader in exposing not only what these policies were doing, but the development of the vaccines that are so controversial, where COVID came from, what was its origin potentially, was the government hiding about what the government was hiding about its work in China and elsewhere, including here in the United States, in terms of gain of function research. And, uh, you know, specifically on that issue, Judicial Watch most recently uncovered how the uh, NIH, Fauci's agency, was knowingly funding mutant coronavirus research back in 2016. That was when the program began. Specifically, uh, back coronavirus research, they were developing mutants. And mutant isn't my word, it's their word. It's funny, I, I, I never thought to call gain-of-function research, uh, gain-of-function uh, changed viruses as mutant viruses, but they figured out, well, that's what they are, and that's the language they use in the specific uh, grant request from this group called the Eco, Eco Health Alliance, which was this cutout for the Fauci agency and other agencies to conduct gain-of-function research, including in China at the Wuhan Institute that involved bat coronaviruses. And the concern is either that specific research or the techniques the Chinese learned from having that support from EcoHealth and federal agencies help them create or concoct or develop either, either accidentally or on purpose or however it happened, uh, not only the um, COVID virus, but who knows what other god-awful viruses they're able to develop as a result of this expertise, which is inherently dangerous. So EcoHealth Alliance has notoriously been funded by the Fauci Agency, NIH, NIAID, the National Institute for Allergic and Infectious Diseases, but there are other government agencies that have funded EcoHealth, including the Defense Department, uh, excuse me, including the Department for Homeland Security, uh, which uh, gave them a big grant uh, as part of the U.S. Biological Defense Program. So this EcoHealth Alliance, which is implicated in improper gain-of-function research, was also getting money from DHS for what we don't know, and that's why we sued. We filed a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Homeland Security for records and communications between that agency 
and the U.S. Biological Defense Program regarding a $2 million grant awarded by the Ground Truth Network to EcoHealth Alliance. Now, Ground Truth Network is part of this Depart Department of Homeland Security program. EcoHealth Alliance, as I said, is implicated in using tax dollars for gain-of-function coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute for Virology and elsewhere in China. The lawsuit names the National Biosurveillance Integration Center and the Office of Health Affairs, which are part of DHS's, DHS's uh, U.S. Biological Defense Program, uh, which was established to increase the U.S.'s preparedness against chemical and biological threats through improved threat awareness, advanced surveillance and detection, and responsive countermeasures. The Ground Truth Network was set up under the National Biosurveillance Integration Center. So Judicial Watch filed the lawsuit after the DHS failed to respond again to a February 2023 request, so it's four or five months ago, uh, for records and communications about these projects. And we've got the specific grant numbers. So it's not like, oh, we heard there was money. Can you tell us what happened? No, we know there was money. There's a specific grant number that you can click through and you can see the grant listed. But the problem is they don't have any of the details about what they were paying EcoHealth Alliance to do. Like we wanted to know, you know, what's the credibility of the sources from whom any information um, uh, was obtained from this entity, uh, this ground truth network. Uh, what was what was this what what was the result of the grant? According to USAspending.gov, the grant awarded to EcoHealth Alliance was awarded in September 2016, with a potential end date of October 2022. Of the 2.1 million dollars in potential money, 974,000 dollars was awarded and it ended in October 2021. So as EcoHealth Alliance is in the middle of this coronavirus gain-of-function dispute and controversy and potential fraud, they're in the meantime getting money still in the middle of the pandemic from Department of Homeland Security related to biological threats. Now let me, in case, let me make the connection. The biological threats I think can fairly be described that were coming from EcoHealth Alliance's use of government funding from other agencies to create viruses using gain-of-function technique. techniques. Incredible. The U.S. government's secret grant to EcoHealth Alliance on biosafety deserves a full accounting, don't you think? Especially given the scandal in Wuhan with EcoHealth. So this is, again, this is where Judicial Watch steps up to do something that government, the Congress hasn't yet done. I don't know if Congress knows about this. Maybe they don't know about it yet. Well, they will now uh, to investigate uh, this this scandal, which is which is enormous. As I said, it's 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 uh, the relationship between the Eco Health Alliance and the federal government is the most significant issue related to the origins of COVID and uh, whether or not. The humanity will face other potential dangerous threats as a result of technique promoted by uh, EcoHealth, which is gain of function, which is essentially making viruses that otherwise may not be able to infect humans 
able to not only infect them, but infect, infect them in an aggressive way that could, in theory, end the human race if, if the virus is, is, is terrible enough. So Judicial Watch has been, as I said, second to none in investigating this issue, and um, I'm glad we were able to file this lawsuit. I didn't know until we filed this lawsuit, I didn't know our investigators had figured this out, that uh, DHS was giving money to EcoHealth for bio, biological safety issues, biological, you know, related to biological threats. Who knew? And do you want them getting money like that? Did you want them getting money for it like that? What were they doing for it? Talk about like circular self-funding. Um, what, what's the what's the phrase? I, I can't think of the phrase, but you know what I mean. Where where you get the um, circular funding processes, where you get money to examine the threats that you're creating with other government money. I mean, that's what was going on here. That's the way it looks like to me. No wonder they don't want to tell us what's in the contract. Now, before I go, I want to talk about another issue that's important. It's the future of our military. Now, the House Republicans are passing a bill, uh, a funding bill out of the House that um, would restrict the Defense Department from engaging in their, as I said, their monstrous uh, critical race theory training, their racialist hiring and quotas and all of that, and also uh, reaffirming that no tax money can be used to uh, pay for abortions of service members and their families. And what the Biden administration had previously done was despite significant federal restrictions and law, uh, of, of spending for uh, the killing of unborn human beings through abortion, they decided they could pay uh, for service members to travel to states where it's legal to get abortions and, and, and compensate them. So a complete workaround from the law that prevents that from happening. And Coach Tuberville, a senator from Alabama, um, has objected to this. And the way he's objected to this as a senator, and he's in the minority in the Senate, so he can't necessarily get a vote that he's probably going to win outright, uh, is by saying that if you want uh, Senator, if the Senate wants to um, allow the promotion of a general or other officers, they're going to have to do it one by one because typically the way the Senate promotes generals is they do it en masse, right? So there'll be a bunch of generals that get promotions all at once, and so no individual general gets considered individually voting in terms of voting, and that allows the Senate to get them through. Um, frankly, without sufficient evaluation, uh, but without spending a lot of time. So what Tuberville has said, if, said is that as long as the Defense Department is going to break the law to kill unborn human beings, each general is going to have to be voted on one at a time. So the Biden administration is breaking the law to kill unborn Americans. And there's a senator who's objecting to that by saying the Senate's got to do its duty to make sure that generals are voted on one at a time. So guess who the establishment is more angry with? The Biden administration, Defense Department, abusing the law and spending money they're not authorized to, or a senator objecting to it? Oh, you got it right. It's the senator objecting it, objecting to it. Senator Tuberville 
who is the hero of the moment on this key issue, is being pressured by many Republicans in the Senate, the whole Washington media establishment, and of course the pro-abortion left, who don't want anything to get in the way of their pro-abortion agenda, including your objections to the laws being followed for prohibiting taxpayer money from being used to pay for abortions, especially in our military. I mean, we spent more defense dollars killing unborn Americans than we have killing foreigners who want to kill us. And Tuberville objects to that. Now, the left is pretending that our military leadership is suffering because these generals can't get voted on. Well, whose fault is that? First of all, they can get voted on individually. So the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff nominees, Senator General Brown, who is um, extremely to the left on these critical race theory matters and should probably be voted down just separately, he can get voted on. They made big news. They were yelling the other day that the Marine doesn't, the Marine Corps doesn't have a commandant for the first time in however hundred, you know, hundred plus years. Well, there's nothing stopping them from voting a new leader of the Marine Corps. So this is all just gamesmanship, right? And Tuberville stands alone. Uh, he has other senators around him, like Mike Lee, who are supporting him, uh, but he doesn't have support from Mitch McConnell and the leadership of the Senate. So this is what I think you should do. If you agree with me, maybe if you don't agree with me, you can give them a call, but call Senator Tuberville and tell him thank you. Thank you for defending life and the rule of law. And these generals that are attacking you, they should be out of a job for engaging in politics. And frankly, the generals that are attacking you and are complaining about this process, um, and I, I don't know how generals even want to serve in this current military given the way Biden's been acting and the policies they're being asked to enforce and abuse our soldiers, servicemen, and women with, but that's another matter. But call Senator Tuberville, let him know you support him one way or the other, and call your senators to support Senator Tuberville's position here on the rule of law. I mean, you may support abortion, that people have a right to have an abortion. You may support it. But the law is that you can't pay, you can't use federal tax dollars to pay for it this way. And, the, and if you believe in the rule of law, you can still object to this, even if you support the killing of unborn human life in these circumstances. So call your senators directly as well, in addition to Senator Tuberville, to tell them what you think about this issue because there's gonna be a lot of pressure. I understand next week, uh, it looks like the, uh, the establishment Republicans are gonna be pressing uh, Tuberville again. Uh, but you know, he's, I've, I've seen him in person once or twice. He's, he's not easily intimidated, but you know, he's all alone. And it's, especially if you're a conservative on a principled issue like this, and, and you're on the wrong side of leadership, it is really hard, it's really tough. And, you know, it may look easy from, from where you're sitting, uh, but the whole, the way this town works, even, even if there are people who support you, they don't want to tell you they support you. So it's really an awful position to be in. So I'm hopefully God is giving him the grace to get through it, uh, but I hope you give him the, uh, the moral and other support to get through it as well. So you can call the Senate at 202-225-3121, 202-225-3121. So not only support Senator Tuberville, but also congressional change, the House changes to the defense 
appropriations to ensure that these abuses of human life don't continue. The Marxist drivel of critical race theory is uh, restricted and, and our service members are otherwise honored and supported as opposed to abused and targeted. Uh, so uh, thank God for Senator Tuberville. I hope you agree. And with that, I will um, be here next time with you on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. As always, thank you for joining us. And uh, if you're not supporting Judicial Watch, I encourage you to support our work. Go to judicialwatch.org. Go and support us. Find out more about us all over the internet. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube, Rumble, uh, Truth Social, uh, you name it. Uh, we try to be everywhere and uh, share our work, share our information. If you're liking and watching this video, for instance, comment below. Click like, <laughs> click share. It really helps uh, Judicial Watch um, get the word out further whenever you do that. And so whether you're watching this on Twitter, on Rumble, whatever, it's important you, you click that you like this stuff uh, in order to uh, increase the reach uh, of the truth you're hearing uh, that I'm putting out there to try to protect our constitutional republic. So with that, I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.